Mac Power Users, episode 561, iPad Check-In with Federico Vitici. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm here today with Federico Vitici, who I'm about to talk to, but Stephen is not here. He had a little surgery and not a big deal. He's doing fine. Surgery went fine but he's on his pain meds and he's recovering. And I told him to take the week off. So he's not here today, but you know, the old saying when the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about iPad all day today. So this is the iPad episode. And I thought who would be better for this episode than Federico Vitici. Thanks Federico for coming in. Hey David, thanks for having me. It's fun to be back here. Do you have an, a, a saying in Italian? Like when the mice is away, the cat will play or something like that. Yes, it's a, it's pretty much the the uh, the same expression except that the mice are dancing instead of playing okay. in the Italian version. Yes. Uh, you know what? That's more delightful. It's <laughs> really yes. You know. They have a little they have a little mouse dance when the cat's away. I'm yes. going to just start saying that when the cat's away, the mice will dance, and then just we'll just go with that. <laughs> I don't know why, but they they do dance. The Italian version is that they dance. Yeah. Well, Steven is legendary for his love of the Mac. I like the Mac too, but I also, that you know, delight is a word that I always think of with the iPad because there's just something about using this piece of glass that turns into whatever you want. And um, Apple has made a bunch of progress the last few years with the release of iPad OS. They are really clicking, in my opinion, with their with the iPad hardware. And I just wanted to get you in today. We're going to talk about the hardware, the software, some of the friction points you're dealing with and and apps. And we're going to go deep on the iPad today if you're game. Yeah, I mean, keep an eye on, on the time because I can just go on. And so just let me know when you want me to stop, I guess. This is like my, the absolute favorite topic of mine, I guess. This and maybe Nintendo. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm all up for it. You know me, yeah. I'm up for it for sure. And for folks who don't know Federico, he's been on the show before. He is the proprietor of Mac Stories, which is a very well-known website. I mean, I mean, if you had a time machine, would you go back and rename it iPad Stories? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, now we have Apple Silicon Macs coming, and maybe I will get one. So yeah. maybe it's actually coming for circle, full circle. Who knows? I am so excited. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I am so excited about this announcement. Um there's a thread in the forums about people being disappointed with Apple announcements. I totally could be disappointed with the Silicon announcement because I'm putting so much stock in it. I just can't wait. But your story is very interesting. You um, you were a Mac user and you know you had a battle with cancer and found yourself in the yes. hospital a lot. And as I understand it, you were using an iPad mini at the time. And you're like, well, let me just take this with me as you're probably sitting for chemo and all the other things you were going through. And through that process, you kind of fell in love with the iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, that's exactly what happened. Uh, that was uh, in 20, 2012. Um, so I was diagnosed in late, uh, in late 2011, and I started my treatments in 2012. And through the course of the year, I started with the iPad mini. I believe it was the first generation iPad mini at the time, because the Retina model uh, launched in 2013, I want to say. Um, but after I realized that basically working from a MacBook was very uncomfortable to do, uh, first of all, because there was no Wi-Fi in the hospital where I, where I was receiving treatments. Yeah. And second, because it was just so unwieldy 
technology to just to manage in, in bed and the keyboard. And, you know, I had a MacBook Air, so it was fairly lightweight and portable, but it still wasn't as comfortable as an iPad. And I remember switching from the MacBook Air, whenever I held the iPad mini, I thought, well, this is so nice. It's so much better to like hold it and I can switch from landscape to portrait. And it, it's very, it's just a very nice computer to use. Um, and, th- and from there, I realized, well, maybe I actually want to try a bigger iPad. And um, I believe in 2012 was the year when the, the, the iPad, the third generation iPad, called at the time the new iPad, the one with the retina display came out. And so I started working, I started working on that model. And, Isn't um, that the one that lasted like six months before they replaced it? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because a few months later, the iPad 4 came out. Uh, but I, I didn't upgrade to the iPad 4 because I was pretty happy with the, with the third generation model. And uh, I guess the biggest challenge at the time was that I loved working on the iPad so much because it was perfect. I could use it in bed and I could pop in a SIM card and I had a cellular connection. So I could always be in touch with the, you know, with the Mac stories team and use iMessage and, you know, use Twitter and all of that. Uh, the problem was that the app ecosystem just wasn't there. In, in 2012, um, the idea of working on the iPad and having professional apps on iPad was pretty not even a novelty like very few people were trying to say hey, i, I want to use this thing as my only computer and so the challenge was just finding apps and finding all these workarounds to do like basic things like i want to publish an article on my wordpress blog and that was a challenge or i want to resize a jpeg and save it as a as a new image and that was a challenge there was no workflow there was no shortcuts Everything was new and difficult and and very restricted, I guess. Yeah, I remember when the first iPad came out, I wrote the book for Wiley Press, the iPad at Work book. And I used the iPad like nearly exclusively for the three months I was writing that book. And man, that that was rough sailing back then. You had to plug Mm -hmm. your iPad into a Mac to get documents on it. (laughs) And um and and I and you know looking back, I feel like the software on the iPad has always been behind the hardware because the hardware from day one was great, but like there were so many pipes that just weren't connected on the iPad, and I feel like it kind of got a bad reputation in those first few years as being a I hate to say this the air quote consumption device, you know that that's what that's all mm. it's good for. And I feel like that stain has like held on, even though it's not really justified anymore. It, for a lot of people, it has, and to an extent, I think it is justified in certain in certain industries where the application that you need on iPad just doesn't exist. And so, if whether you use Final Cut or you know some three D modeling apps, for example, or if you're a screenwriter and you're looking for the iPad version of the of the program or the application that you're so used to working in on a desktop computer, and it just doesn't exist on iPadOS, then you're maybe you're you're led to thinking, well, this is not a work machine. But I also think that reputation has also stuck with the iPad, even though a lot of good progress has been made in a lot of different other industries from graphic design to photography to uh, text editing. You know, there's lots of different tasks that can now be accomplished on iPad. 
whether via Apple's own apps or via third-party apps from the App Store, but a lot of users still seem to think this is not a real computer. Uh, this is just a, a tablet where I can do, you know, browse around in Safari and watch Netflix. And it's so, uh, it's kind of sad when you when you read about it in in some tech blogs, for example, some tech publications where that seems to be still the default assumption. And I think, you know, to an extent that that is always misguided. Because it's objectively speaking, lots of progress has been made, especially over the past five years since the introduction with the iPad Pro, and arguably starting with iOS 11 and then iPadOS last year. Uh, you know, we can see the progress in the software. It's it's undeniable. Um, but I also think there's still lots of you know lo- lots of different ways ways where the iPad can grow, and lots of weird and odd limitations that don't necessarily make sense in 2020. So uh, I do believe, like, sort of as an opening statement of sorts, I do believe we're doing much, much, much better than when I started using the iPad for real eight years ago. It still isn't perfect, and, and it's arguable, arguable that for some users, the iPad still isn't as flexible as a Mac for some types of applications that you may want to run on an iPad, but I also believe that overall, for the vast majority of, of users, it's a pretty sweet machine at this point. It's a, pretty, it's a very flexible and, and friendly and welcoming uh, computing environment. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there are some things that, frankly, the iPad is better at than the Mac, and there's some things that the Mac is better at than the iPad. But the interesting thing on the iPad is that target is moving a lot more than it is on the Mac. You know, the Mac has been around a long time. It's a very mature platform. So uh, they've they've got a lot of problems solved, but they're not also making as much movement as the iPad is. I also think it's interesting to consider how over the past decade of iPad, when you think about it, it was introduced in 2010, and there's a clear breaking point right in the middle of the iPad's life cycle in 2015 with the introduction of the iPad Pro. And now we are exactly, uh, once again at that point, five years after the introduction of the first iPad Pro. What I think is really fascinating is how until a specific moment in the iPad's history, there was the the notion of a pro iPad just didn't exist. And then from that point forward, the idea of you can be a pro user and and use an iPad as your primary computer of like became an idea that Apple itself was officially promoting with you know multiple accessories with the smart keyboard and the Apple pencil. And then a few months ago, these other sort of acceptance of the idea that people want to use an iPad as a, as a sort of like a laptop with the introduction of the Magic Keyboard and the pointer and the trackpad. So the fact that Apple keeps, in a way, kind of reinventing the role of the iPad by giving it more importance and more desktop-like features, I think it's something really intriguing about the product. It's, it's almost like it's, it's constantly changing and improving and I believe that the company is trying to find this hybrid model where it's still an iPad, right? It's still a tablet and you can still hold it in your hands and it's a single slab of glass and you can use multi-touch. But at the same time, it can also transform into something that resembles a MacBook without the limitations of a la- of a MacBook. You can, you know, you can grab the display and tear it away from the magic keyboard and it's a tablet again. So 
this constant evolution over the past few years, I think it's what kept me interested in the iPad platform. It's not stagnant. It's, it's constantly evolving into something a little bit different. And I think that's very exciting. I can't help but feel like there has also been shifting priorities in Apple. I think at, at some stage early, mm. they felt like, okay, that's what we want. Something simple, a big, a big iPhone, a big iPod touch. And, and I feel like at some point though, that shifted to what they're doing now where they're getting more power features. And I would love someday to read a book by the people inside that were dealing with those shifting priorities over the last 10 years. Cause I, I do think they've shifted, but in my opinion, they've shifted for the better as of recently. Yeah. And especially in the context of, um, how the iPad and how the iPad app ecosystem may be an enabling force for a new generation of desktop apps, right? If you think about the big picture play here, how Apple has been pushing the iPad Pro as the high-end model and how they revised iOS, then iPadOS with multitasking and multi-window. These features that were obviously inspired by macOS, but reimagined for for iPad and then drag and drop and things like the pointer and context menus and how at first we thought, oh, well, I guess Apple is just borrowing ideas from macOS and bringing them to iPad. But then later they announced, well, actually, if you're an iPad developer and you did all this work in your apps, now it's easier for you to also bring them to the Mac. And then they also announced, well, turns out the next generation of, of, you know, of our desktop computers will also run on the same um, CPU architecture that we've been using on iPhones and iPads. So in a way, this, this idea that the, the iPad is now what's going to make it possible for the Mac to have a stronger and more diverse app ecosystem, I think that's also a very interesting idea, how the iPad, the, and especially the iPad Pro, isn't just a product, but has been a way for Apple to to court s- certain types of developers and now make a strong case in favor of why don't you also bring your app to the Mac now that you've done all this work on iPad. So uh, I think we're gearing up for a really interesting end of 2020, with the with, especially in the context of what's the relation the relationship between the iPad Pro the Mac Catalyst technology and Apple Silicon Macs, because we also shouldn't forget how you will be able on an Apple Silicon Mac to run an iPad app unmodified, even if the developer doesn't want to optimize using Catalyst. You can just download an iPad app from the iPad App Store and use it on an Apple Silicon Mac. And if, you, if you're a developer and you've done the work and you support drag and drop and multi-window and context menus and all those kinds of features, your app, even though it'll be emulated, on a Mac, it won't look so out of place as, say, an iPhone app, right? So the idea that the iPad isn't just a computer in itself, I mean, it is, sure, but it's also a strategy for revitalizing the Mac ecosystem. But that, I think, is also very fascinating. Now, have you played with Big Sur at all? Yes, very briefly, but I have. And um, What was your impression of all the spacing and like the menu bar <laughs> and the, the does- icons? You would think that that they must be thinking about the potential of what if we add a touch input to macOS, right? I feel like they're adding touch. I mean, it's it's shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Like my uh, 
my laptop. I had Big Sur on for a little while, but I had to downgrade it um, for a bunch of reasons. And looking at the menu bar in Big Sur versus going back to Catalina and seeing everything scrunched together, it's just shocking to me how much space they've added. And I can't believe they would have bothered to do that if they didn't already have a plan. And, and not to mention, mm. if you're going to put an iPad app on my, my laptop, don't you want to be able to use those touch features? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, yeah. I've been going back and forth on this idea of should they do a touch computer that runs macOS? And I think ultimately maybe they 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 should um, just to have that added that added flexibility for users who prefer macOS right to iPadOS because there are still so many differences between the two operating systems. Um, but they also want the flexibility of touch. I do believe it. it it is a it's a very difficult discussion in terms of should they actually just go ahead and merge the two platforms where an iPad can be a Mac and a Mac can be an iPad and it's actually a spreading system. I don't think that will happen. I think it's likely in short term that they will bring touch to the Mac. <laughs> but I'm I'm not fully convinced. Like I would say I'm about 60-40 on it like 60 percent, they're gonna do it but there's still that part of me that says this is just a, a trend of more spaced out elements uh have a different look about apple you know they they, they have said many times before they don't want to do a touch computer that runs mac os but then again things change so i don't know yeah i, I don't know i feel like my, my calculation is higher than yours i just think because there's so many normal people out there, people who don't listen to Mac Power users, that they're going to see an iPad app on their Mac and they're going to want to use it the exact same way they use it on their iPad. And it's going to be really jarring for them to have to use a mouse with an iPad app. I do mm -hmm. think that the touch interface isn't going to be fully integrated. It's going to be kind of like a supplemental interface. Like, you know, Microsoft Word for Mac is not going to work that great with touch because... A bunch of stuff in there you need the precision of a pointer but i feel like right. the, the ipad apps will work fine the navigating menus will be fine but i don't think they're going to go all the way but you know this is the exciting part we're going to find out hopefully within weeks of the show publishing well, what about hardware though i mean where are you these days um what i know you you kind of started your ipad journey on ipad mini but what's your main devices now so i've literally tried them all and right now the the setup that i've been using for uh basically the past couple of years uh is the uh the 12.9 inch ipad pro as a main work machine uh it's the ipad that i take everywhere it's the wi-fi and cellular model with one terabyte of storage i i've been using this model on the 2018 version as well as the 2020 version of the ipad pro and uh, the cellular version is essential to me because it's a computer that I carry everywhere. I, uh, so I can keep working on it in 4G. Uh, it's, uh, I use it a lot. This is the, basically the machine that I spend six, seven, eight hours a day using. Uh, and then I have an iPad mini. Uh, I have the latest version available of the iPad mini, which Apple refreshed, uh, I guess, last year, maybe. And uh, this is my media iPad, which most mostly used for reading, essentially, uh, either either in Apple books or in uh, articles that I save for reading later in Reader, uh, Reader, the RSS client that also has a, an excellent read later feature. Yeah. Um, and the iPad mini, I keep in my bedroom. 
Uh, this is the that I keep on, on my desk. I try to keep it charged at all times. And at night, when I want to unwind and read an article or a book, I just grab the iPad mini. I don't keep any work stuff on it. So it's just a media iPad. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off and protect your online security. 1Password is the password manager that both Stephen and I use for all of our online security protection. 1Password is an excellent application made by a loving group of nerds that want to do nothing but protect you from the bad guys on the internet. And there's a lot of them out there. The idea behind 1Password is that you only have to remember your 1Password. And then 1Password, once you get inside, takes care of the rest for you. It creates strong and unique passwords for each one of your websites and then remembers them for you. It is truly like having your cake and eating it too when it comes to online security. All you have to do is remember that 1Password. 1Password is on all the Apple platforms and more. It's also on Windows and other platforms too. And on the Mac and iOS apps, 1Password takes advantage of all those cool security features that Apple has. For instance, if you have Touch ID on your device, you can unlock 1Password with a Touch ID. It also works with Face ID. And 1Password does so much more than just your passwords. It also is a secure vault that you can store data like I put all my medical data in a secure note inside 1Password so it's protected. And they're just always watching your back for you. Most recently, 1Password wrote a post about ghost accounts. And that's where you create an account at some website and forget that you have it. We all do this as we're trying out new web services and we leave these ghosts behind. The trouble is, even though you may leave that account behind, it's still there and still probably has some of those weak passwords you used years ago. Well, 1Password is watching out for you. With the Watchtower service, it keeps an eye on those accounts and lets you know if there's been any security breaches there so you can go and close your account or change to a better password. There are so many dirty tricks being played by people out there in the world these days, and 1Password is always looking for ways to protect you. One of the ways I use 1Password is when I answer those security questions, you know, when they ask your mom's maiden name or the city you were born in, I use 1Password to generate a random password to answer that question. And then I save that secure data in 1Password. So if I ever need to recover the account, I have a strong and unique password in answer to the security question. Because let's be honest, it's not that hard to figure out where people were born or what their mother's maiden name was. Either way, I've got a family account with 1Password. Me, my wife, and kids all use 1Password, and we love it, and I bet you will too. If you want to learn more, head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off your account. Thanks a lot, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Now, I totally get the idea of an iPad mini as kind of a supplemental device. I had one because we had an extra one in the family, but I ended up giving it to my wife because she needed one. But uh, the nice thing about the iPad mini versus something like the Kindle is that it supports all the apps like Instapaper and YouTube. And that can be really nice. Yeah, it's uh, the, the advantage of, of uh, the fact that it's an iPad. Lots of people have said to me, why don't you just use an, an, an EPUB reader if that's all you want to do? And the thing is, uh, I still like the fact that, that I can use Apple Books, that I can open Safari if I want to read something in Safari. Like it's still a computer. It's not limited to just being one type of device. And I just fake my way around it, you know, in terms of not using it for work 
by not installing apps on it and keeping Do Not Disturb always enabled and uh, keeping it in the bedroom with uh, dark mode always active so that when I grab it, if when I unlock it, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't shoot <laughs> light in the in front of my girlfriend's face at night. Sure. Uh, it's just, you know, this little, uh, this all these these options that you can tweak and keep, you know, set to a different setting from your main computer in a way that you can optimize the experience to make it a, a media iPad. And I've been doing this for the past year. I basically copied this approach from our common friend, John Borges, who wrote about his iPad mini experience on Mac stories a few months ago, and I totally stole his approach. So <laughs> I, he convinced yeah. me, and I, and I purchased an iPad mini, and I've been using it that way ever since. Another thing about the iPad mini that I really like is thumb typing on it is just way easier than yes. on any other iPad. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I got to be honest, I'm really... I really hope that at some point we we get um, an iPad Pro inspired redesign for the Mini. Like my dream device right now is like an iPad Mini with the same industrial design of the iPad Pro. So the liquid Retina display, no home button, and maybe the same Touch ID sensor found in the latest iPad Air. Yeah, that's that to me is the dream device, like a very basically a very small iPad Pro <laughs> that is actually an iPad mini. That yeah. would be incredible. Yeah, with support for the new pencil and mm -hmm. you know, just that better screen. Yeah, I wonder you, you keep you hear rumors about that every once in a while that that is in the works. But then, I, you know, you never know if that's going to actually happen. And uh, I guess we'll find out one day. Yeah, they've been saying this for a while, maybe as a 2021 product. And I know that I would purchase that product immediately. Like I wouldn't even think about it because it's so nice to hold the iPad mini already, even though I do, I kind of dislike, you know, the old design with the bezels and the home button. And the screen doesn't have promotion, but that's fine. It's just a, such a nice object to hold and use. You can use it with one hand and it's super lightweight and you still you still have iPadOS, right? So you can still use Safari and Reader, and you know I keep Twitter on it, even though I shouldn't. Uh, it's it just it's a very small computer, and people say, why don't you just use an iPhone? And I think even though this you know the next the 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 iPhone 12 Pro Max is going to be seven six point seven inches, and the iPad Mini is well it's something around. Seven, seven nine, and I think seven, seven nine. nine. Yeah, and some a lot of people say, "Well, that's not that big of a difference," but I think it is because the form factor is different, and holding a large iPhone is completely different from holding and using an iPad Mini. So that's why I keep using it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you got a review unit for the iPad Air, right? Yes, and we'll definitely link your review in the uh, in the show notes, but. Give us uh, your thoughts. I mean, you've probably used more this for more than most of the listeners have at this point. I think it's uh, it's the new default iPad for most people, and it should be treated as as the like you want to buy an iPad, start here, and then you can either decide do you want to have something less or do you want to have more. I think Apple struck a really an ideal balance of um, the portability of the 11 inch form factor. And the fact that this is not an iPad Pro, but it basically feels like the 11-inch iPad Pro. It's the, it, when you compare them side by side, the 11-inch iPad Pro and the iPad Air, unless you, you knew where to look, you 
would easily confuse the two iPads because the iPad Air is, it does, at a glance, it does look exactly like the 11-inch iPad Pro. And that's because it borrows many of the same features, same design, um, support for the second-generation Apple Pencil, support for the Magic Keyboard, the liquid retina display. It really does look like an iPad Pro. There's some features that it's lacking, right? So it doesn't have Face ID. It's got Touch ID, which yes. is the first on on. On, a, on iPhones and iPads, Touch ID in the top button. Yeah. And I actually kind of love it. And I will love for that version of Touch ID to come back to the iPhone, especially now that because of the pandemic, Face ID has become a lot less useful uh, because we're all, hopefully, we're all wearing masks. And just the option of having Face ID in a button, it's just so nice because it always works. Yeah, if they did that, all the case manufacturers would have to figure out a way to carve out the top so you can get your finger on the actual face ID button. Yeah. But yeah. they could figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they can. And just generally speaking, I've been really impressed with the iPad Air. Uh, the, the things that it's lacking compared to the Pro. So pr the ProMotion display, uh, the larger storage options, and, um, you know, the, the multi-core performance, for example, or the, the you know, support for uh, LiDAR, for example, which is another new feature in the 2020 iPad Pro. I think arguably those are not essential features for a lot of people, which makes this iPad so compelling as the default option for, you know, the... the, the the average person that goes into an Apple store or, you know, these days goes on apple.com and it's looking at the iPad lineup and they think, what, what, what's the starting point for the iPad family? For like, where should I start? And I think the starting point now is the iPad Air. And then if you want more, you can go with the Pro versions. And especially, I think, if you want more from an iPad these days, you should consider the 12.9, right? Because the difference between the iPad Air and the 11-inch iPad Pro is so small at this point, I honestly don't know what the future holds for the 11-inch Pro. Because the iPad Air is taking a lot of the same boxes of the iPad Pro, uh, of the 11-inch iPad Pro, for less money. So, uh, or if you don't want an iPad Pro, but you want less than an iPad Air, of course, there's the base model iPad and there's the iPad Mini. But I think my overall thought is that Apple found an ideal balance between base model iPads and iPad Pros in this new default, which is the iPad Air. So I'm, I'm actually really impressed by it. Yeah, every time Apple releases a new hardware device, I get a lot of email from listeners and readers that have tried it out, and there's always people unhappy. And this is one of the unique products where I've received a lot of people reporting in on their iPad Airs, and everybody loves them. I, I have to wonder, they've raised the bar so much with the iPad Air, is what are they going to do with the next iPad Pro? Well, you got to think that now that there's this, they raised the baseline, right, for the 11-inch um, form factor of, of iPad. And it kind of feels like maybe Apple wanted to, to give themselves some room for going with an even bigger iPad Pro in the future. I've been asking for, I remember uh, three, two, three years ago, I was, in a, I was in a briefing and the idea of like, what else would you want from, from an iPad Pro? And I've been saying ever since to, to, to you know, folks at Apple as well as on my podcasts, I want an even 
even bigger iPad Pro. Like I would love to have a, a 15 inch or a 16 inch iPad Pro that could be optimized for desk usage, right? Yeah. Obviously, such a such a large device, it would be optimized for using at a table or on your desk or on your lap. But just like we have a 16-inch MacBook Pro, why shouldn't we have a 16-inch iPad Pro? And I think the fact that the new default iPad is not a 9-inch, it's not a 10-inch, it's an 11-inch iPad Air, same physical size as the 11-inch iPad Pro, it kind of feels to me like Apple is saying, this is the new default, and now with the Pro, we can go even bigger because we have this for most people who want an 11-inch tablet. And so that, again, just like I would get this, a new version of the smallest iPad possible right away, so I would get a new version of the biggest iPad possible right away. I would really love to have an even larger, uh, you know, 15 or 16-inch iPad Pro. Imagine, like, using apps in split view, right? That would be, that would be incredible. Yeah, the, the split view game would change entirely with 16 inches. Well, you know, even for content consumption, I'm just kind of thinking it through. Like that would be kind of awesome to have a screen that big. Yeah, for for games, for watching video, and even the idea, like when you think about split view, it's not just about using three uh, three apps at the same time, but also if you want to use two apps at the same time, a split of size, it means that apps will always have their full. Uh, you know, full size layout. They will never revert to the compact size class. So you will always see sidebars, for example. You will always see toolbars instead of, you know, auto layout kicking in and saying, well, now that you're in split view, you should use a compact layout, which means tabs, you know, a toolbar at the bottom of the display. Um, just the idea of, of the display becoming bigger also means that the software gets a lot more powerful because of the way the multitasking works and auto layout works on iPadOS. Yeah, I feel like Microsoft doesn't get enough credit for the experimentation they've been doing with hardware. Um, mm. And I went into a Microsoft store back when those were a thing and back when we would go out. And they had, what was it, the Surface Studio it was an iMac-looking computer on an ingenious little hinge. Yeah. that would rotate down to kind of like a drafting table size. And I always thought, wouldn't this be amazing if Apple made one an iMac like this? But it never really made sense to me until we heard about the Apple Silicon Macs. Because now you could have the thing be a traditional Mac with a keyboard standing up, and you could rotate it down and have this massive drafting table iPad. And this is just wish casting on my part. I mean, I've heard nothing to justify this, but... Wouldn't that be, you know, how you would immediately buy a small iPad Pro or a big iPad Pro? I would immediately buy that. If they made that, I would I would be there on day one. Yeah, yeah. If Apple started selling a table that is actually an iPad as a piece of furniture, I would also get that. <laughs> like dining table? <laughs> the idea, yeah, the, the idea of, of I just want a, the biggest possible screen that runs iPadOS with touch. The idea of moving thing, moving windows and apps and content around on a large display, this is why I love the 12.9-inch iPad Pro so much, because it makes multitasking and split view and drag and drop so comfortable because you have the, it's just, it's everything's bigger 
and everything just feels more manageable than trying and do the same thing on a, on an 11 inch iPad. Um, so yes, the, the, I do believe that Microsoft doesn't get enough recognition for what they did. I think the, you know, the, a lot of people in our industry, they, they applauded the design of the surface studio. And I, you know, I've only, I've only ever seen it once, I think, um, in a store and it's a beautiful piece of hardware. I think it's really incredible what, what you can do with that machine. And imagine that as an iPad. Oh my God, that would be, that yeah. would be incredible. A 27 so, inch yeah, iPad. Yeah. I mean, oh my, yeah. Just moving things around like minority report style. Yeah. You know, moving windows around with, yeah, that, that would be fantastic. So yeah. uh, I don't think we'll, we're going to get that kind of product anytime soon. Yeah, not, not this month at least. Yeah. <laughs> not this month, but you know, I don't think as, you know, let's start relatively small, a 16 inch iPad Pro. I don't think it's that absurd anymore. No, I agree. I agree. I, I'm very eager to see Apple's upcoming hardware and the new iPad Pros and the new Silicon Macs. I, I, I feel like 2020 has been a pretty rough year for a lot of us, but maybe Apple will make it give us something nice at the end. Nice mm. and expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, besides the, besides the, 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 the bigger version, I would love to see a different display technology. I believe there was a rumor of, of um, I never remember if it's mini LED or micro LED. Anyway, some basically a new version of, of OLED for um, for tablets. So the idea that the iPad Pro could have the same display technology that powers the iPhone. So with true blacks and deep colors, uh, the iPad Pro is still using LCD. As technology, and I would really love to see that instead. Um, also, something that I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I should mention it because it's so you know one of the one of the many dreams that I have um, a matte display option, just like you can get a, an anti-glare matte version of the Pro Display XDR with the what, what's it called the nano technology, nano display technology. Uh, I you know I, I totally forget the name of it. I just remember being at WWDC and being lectured yes. about how I'm not allowed to touch it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I will honestly pay extra for to have that in the iPad Pro. Um, if only because in the summer I I'm, I'm a beach person. I love going to the beach as much as possible. Uh, however, during those times, it usually happens that I have to either write or edit my iOS and iPadOS review. And using an iPad at the beach, let me tell you, it's not fun. Even if you stay under an umbrella and you try to, to be in the shade as much as possible, the reflections on that screen are just so annoying. And I've tried multiple um, screen protectors to add a, a matte uh, finish to the display. I've tried the paper-like. I've tried another one, which I actually re really like. It's called the Moshi iVisor, which is an anti-glare film that you add on top of the iPad display. And those are pretty good, but it, they they're still don't feel like native. You know, you do lose some color quality, for example, and you gain this kind of weird feeling texture on top of the display. So a native, like a built-in matte screen option for the iPad, I would also get one right away. I think you pay like a $1,000 extra 
if you <laughs> yeah. want to get it on the Pro Display XDR, which is yeah, an already a quite expensive display. Yeah. And if you want the Nano whatever version, it's a thousand dollars on top. Yeah, I, I believe I'm using. I believe it's the Moshi iVisor is the one that it's like a almost like a plate that just drops on top of it. It's very easy to apply, and uh, I've been very happy with that. Although I don't know that, you know, that micro texture is going to be available ever for an iPad because you're not allowed to touch it. And the whole idea of the iPad yeah, is, is to touch it. That's the problem. So if they ever come up with a with a with an anti with a real anti-glare skin screen, it cannot be the same tech of the Pro Display XDR. So hey, maybe it will not be that expensive then. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Head over to textexpander.com slash podcasts and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users to get 20% off your first year. With Text Expander, you can get it right every time. Text Expander makes it easy to give your team the right words for every situation. Whether you need to keep legal happy or delight customers with effective answers, you can rest easy knowing your team has it covered. The latest version of Text Expander even has new and improved statistics reporting for organizations, including the ability to build reports with customizable date ranges for enterprise and individuals so you can track how much time your team saves. If you've got Text Expander in your team, get one of these reports, show it to your boss, and show them how much money you are saving with Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current. You can share your text and images with the whole staff to keep them on track. Everyone will share the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions. You can also work faster and smarter. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. With Text Expander, you can create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. Keep your whole team communicating efficiently with the consistent language that Text Expander provides. You can even share your snippets of messages, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. Text Expander is available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and show listeners get 20% off their first year. I use Text Expander on my small team, and we are super happy with it. We get consistent information out to customers when they have questions. When we make changes to the snippets, they auto-populate for everyone so we don't have to duplicate the work. We love it. Anyway, go to TextExpander.com slash podcast right now to learn more about TextExpander. Let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users and up your team's game with TextExpander. TextExpander was the original sponsor of the Mac Power Users many years ago. We really appreciate it. Go check it out. One thing that's changed since the last time I talked to you is Apple has got serious about third or alternate input devices. You know, we've got these kind of remarkable keyboards they're making now that you can attach to your iPad. It has mouse support and trackpad support. Um, what do you think of that? And, and has it changed the way you're using your iPad? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, with the Magic Keyboard and the System Pointer and the native trackpad. I think... Um, Honestly, that has been the biggest change to my iPad setup and the way that I work on iPad since the first iPad Pro. Um, the 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 addition of the with the Magic Keyboard and the in iPad OS 13.4, the inclusion of a native pointer so that you can use any trackpad or any mouse you you want 
not just the Magic Keyboard. That has been an incredible enhancement, and it has completely changed the way that I, that I use the iPad Pro. Because before, I used to be a smart keyboard, uh, smart keyboard folio user, uh, and I actually had these. I wrote about this before. I had this custom uh, setup for my smart keyboard folio, which I modified myself with some metal kickstands that I added to the smart keyboard folio to enable more viewing angles. Yeah, I remember looking at pictures of your keyboard. Yes. It, it looked like something out of Star Wars, actually. Yes. I know you love Star Wars so much. <laughs> that little metal legs. Yeah, like a droid yes. was attached or something. But, yes. yes. But this fixed it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, the thing is, now I can work on the Magic Keyboard and I never have to touch the display, right? Uh, because I have the pointer and the trackpad is just so convenient to use and the way that it's natively into integrated with the UI, with the, you know, Apple calls it pointer magnetism. So the idea that the pointer automatically snaps to certain UI elements, it just makes it so convenient to use and I never touch the display, right? I don't have to raise my hands off the keyboard because it, in, the trackpad is right there. But then when I'm done working in, in keyboard mode, it just, the, the Magic Keyboard makes it so easy to detach an iPad Pro and just use it in your lap if yeah, you want to use it back or, into an iPad. Yeah. Turn it back into an iPad. Turn it back into a tablet. So honestly, the Magic Keyboard, even though I would like it to be more affordable, uh, you know, it's 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 a pricey keyboard, especially for the twelve point nine inch version. It really is an incredible product, and it's so much better than the than the Smart Keyboard Folio. Um, so. Uh, that accessory has completely changed the game for me for for iPad Pro. We all have these moments, and I think a lot of listeners do too, where something Apple does just delights you so much that it like reinforces your love for using their products. And I remember for me, it was in college, the very first time I used a Mac and opened the control panel, and like they had the tortoise and the hare for mouse click speed. You know, and this is like in 1986. This is a long time ago, but. I just was so amazed by how much attention to little details like that in the operating system. And back then, graphical user interfaces were new, but these guys figured it out. And to me, the first time I saw the cursor support on the iPad, I had that same experience of like, yes, of course. I mean, you talked about how it magnetically attaches to buttons and how the the cursor changes to form based on what you're doing and where you're at in context to using the device it's so far superior to the way the mac mouse works and it's like how did it take all these years for someone to figure this out and in hindsight it's obvious i bet in a few years you're going to see this everywhere but you know it was a moment of delight for me with apple when they released mm -hmm. that yeah and i think the idea of how can you use a pointer in an operating system that that is optimized and primarily designed for touch? I think that is a similar moment. And and if you watch the session that they did at WWDC 2020, I believe it's called Designing for Pointer Interactions. It's a it's a high level design overview of the uh, the the thought and the and and the craft that went into designing the pointer, like you and you you might think, well, I mean, it's like a floating circle. What's the big deal about it? And there's actually when you when you when you follow the when you watch the presentation, it's just so fascinating all the different scenarios that Apple accounted for 
and all the different implementations implementations of the pointer that you can find in iPadOS. And really, when you think about it, I wrote this in my iOS and iPadOS uh, 14 review uh, a few weeks ago. I do believe that right now, iPadOS is for Apple the most challenging platform to design for because it's not, you know, you design an iPhone, you know, folks are going to use an iPhone with touch and you design macOS and you know, folks are going to be using keyboards and mice and trackpads. But with iPadOS, you need to account for all kinds of inputs being valid options at the same time. And it's not just that you can switch between inputs, right? It's not just the idea of, okay, now I'm sitting down and I'm using a keyboard and then I switch modes and I get up and I use it as a tablet. No, it's the fact that you can use both modes at the same time. You can use a magic keyboard, but you can still touch the display and you can actually do both at the same time. You can type something on the keyboard and use your finger for drag and drop, for example. So the idea that iPadOS is the only platform right now that out of the box, of course, if you exclude accessibility features, right? But that's a different topic. Out of the box, it's the only platform that needs to support multiple input methods at the same time. This multiplicity of input methods, I think that that's what makes it really challenging for Apple to, to nail down. And arguably, they've been doing a really good job with the new features of iPadOS. So things like pull-down menus, things like sidebars and context menus. But some of the existing features that were launched years ago, uh, you look at split view, you look at drag and drop, you look at slide over, uh, multitasking in general, basically. That's where iPadOS is still struggling because those features were designed in, a, in the previous era when the iPad was still primarily a touch device. Yeah. And so... That's that. This is the real challenge for iPad for Apple and iPadOS right now. Every feature, every app, every option needs to be designed with that mindset of there's no single input. All inputs are valid. All right. So so now that Apple has opened the gates and we have additional hardware support on the iPad, you know, pencil, uh, keyboards, mice. What do they need to do next? As someone who uses the iPad every day, what's the next third-party hardware that we need to see supported on mm-hmm. the iPad? Well, I personally, uh, I would love to see proper integration with external displays. Um, the idea, I've always been intrigued with the idea of the iPad as a, general purpose computer that you can use in all kinds of scenarios. You can hold it, you can dock it, you can use it with a keyboard, you can draw on it, and you can rotate it. And I think the next obvious obvious thing for it to do is you place it on a desk and you connect it to an external display and you can see, you can use a trackpad and you can use a keyboard and it becomes like this docked computer that enables you to to see the UI and to work with apps on a much, much bigger display. And right now you can do it, right? Yeah. You, you can do it right now via USB-C. You can plug it into, or using HDMI, you can plug it and, and you see the iPad UI on an external display. But the problem is, this is just a mirroring mode. It's not real external display integration as you would have on a Mac. This is just mirroring what you see on the iPad. 
and it's got, you know, the pillar boxing with the black bars and developers can do anything about it, really. So real integration with external displays, that would be really, really nice. Yeah. And, and it's like they're halfway there now. They're, you know, not only yeah. is it just mirroring, it doesn't even adjust the screen size to fit the monitor. You know, it's just a complete mirror. And uh, in addition to trying to adjust it, so like, wouldn't it be nice, like, for instance, if you could have a keynote presentation that you can see the keynote and have like presenter mode on your iPad while it is pressing out the actual presentation to the screen. Actually, now that I say that, I think they may support that already. But the, um, but you know, but the idea of you know having something different on that monitor than what's on your iPad would be really great. Yeah, so some apps can do it because there is an uh, an external uh, a second screen API for developers to to work with. Well, but the problem is they're also very limited if they want to use that API. They, they can basically just say this content should be displayed on a second screen. But you cannot interact with it. Uh, iPadOS lacks the the whole concept of, for example, navigating between different displays, which is something that you can do on macOS. You can move the cursor from one display to another, and you can drag windows from one display to another. All of that is missing from iPadOS. Even if you take advantage of the existing API, which, by the way, was designed for games, and then developers adapted to things like presentations, or there's this clever utility, for example, called Sheet. Shift screen and shift screen lets you, for example, open documents and browse websites on an external display. But all of all of that is built upon this workaround of taking advantage of an API that was designed for game developers. What's really missing from iPadOS right now is the notion of an iPad can show its UI across multiple displays. And so I do believe, however, that it, we are this is more possible now than it is years ago because a lot of pieces that you know features that should enable this kind of this kind of functionality they are now in place so you can create multiple windows right in iPadOS for your uh, for the app that you're using and you have yeah. a pointer so the idea of well if the iPad is a is a touch computer how can you touch an external display well now you don't have to because the iPad has a pointer so a lot of different pieces are in place but obviously, you know, Apple needs to actually do it and, you know, and have real, you know, the idea of actually dragging windows around and showing the home screen, you know, all of that still needs to be done. And also, I, I feel like there's some possibility that the, you know, the whole idea of Silicon Mac and touchscreens could also feed into that. What if they made an external monitor that was a touchscreen and then you could mm -hmm. really use your iPad Boy, I'm, I'm talking myself back into the Surface Studio again, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not Seems to. like you really should really consider that computer. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to dream about it now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I think you're right, though. I, I do think that that is an area they could expand. It's not necessarily an input mechanism, but it could be if it was a touchscreen. But, you know, it's like I think the next logical step for the iPad is, yeah, I want to carry it around with me. When I get to work, I want to dock it on a computer and use it more like a computer than it is usable now. What do you think we, we talked, we haven't mentioned in this discussion of the Apple Pencil. Now it's evolved a lot since the last time you came on the show. They've got the new generation one, they've added Scribble. And I seem to find a lot of people are just not that excited about 
I guess it's two categories. There's like 75% of people I talk to about the pencil don't care at all. And 25% of them are crazy about it and they love it. Where do you fit on that? I don't really use it myself. Um, uh, I, I love the pencil as a product. I think it's honestly remarkable what Apple has been able to do with it. And especially with the second generation model and with the low latency that they've been able to achieve via combination of hardware, obviously with the with the pencil and the promotion display, but also in software, right? With all the predictive APIs that they have in place to speed up the drawing engine and really reduce the latency. I think it's technically remarkable. Uh, what they've done for developers with pencil kit in iPadOS also really uh, outstanding. They're just what developers can do as especially in iPadOS 14, the new Pencil Kit APIs, uh, what you can do with the color picker, what you can do with the um, with the access to individual strokes of the Apple Pencil. I think we've seen so many fascinating implementations of, of Pencil integration in third-party apps. They speak for, for themselves. It's really incredible. My problem, and this is just my personal problem, is that I have no use, no use for it. I prefer to take my notes with, with a keyboard Sure. And I'm not an artist. I, I don't draw. I don't sketch. I like using the Apple Pencil occasionally for things like uh, I need to take a screenshot of a website, for example. And it's easier to annotate, you know, draw circles and arrows and, you know, put some notes on top of it using a pencil than my finger. But I'm not a regular Apple Pencil user, right? I, I, I just don't use it. But I think, especially with the 2018 iPad Pro and the magnetic uh, pairing and charging, and the second generation pencil, they have really found an, uh, something that works so much better than the first generation model. Even though that one was impressive, but I think with the second generation uh, pencil, they've been able to fix all the shortcomings of the first one, and the performance is incredible. And uh, I've seen so many people do some really amazing works of art with the pencil. I, I just I just don't have a use for it myself. Yeah. Do you use Scribble at all? Uh, n- n- not really for the same reason why I, I don't take notes with the pencil. Yeah. Um, I just use my keyboard, right? Uh, and, and Scribble was designed for those kinds of people who never want to put the pencil down. And so, I, and I wrote about this in my review, all the things that Apple has done to make Scribble work out of the box in iPadOS 14, where your handwriting is automatically automatically turned into typed text for any text field. It's incredible what Apple has done. The, the fact that if you're a developer, you get this feature for free just by supporting native text fields. And then if you want, you can optimize for Scribble. And you can do things like, uh, for example, in the latest version of Fantastical for iPadOS 14, uh, the app actually detects if you press the plus button to create an event, right? And if the text that you press that button with a pencil rather than your finger, the text field, the compose field that comes up is bigger yeah. than it would otherwise be because it, the app thinks, well, you're using a pencil, so I assume you want to scribble. Therefore, if you want to scribble, I'm going to make the compose field bigger for you. Like developers can do all these little optimizations in their apps. And I wrote about them and I tested a bunch of them and then I put the pencil back in my <laughs> drawer. I think it's totally fine. This is the beauty of iPad, right? You don't, you don't have to use all the accessories. You have the freedom to choose. You have the flexibility to choose. But ultimately, you can just pick, an, you know, you can 
pick the accessory that works best for you, or maybe no accessory at all, and you can still use an iPad to its full potential. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I find Scribble very useful for small bits of text. Like, I manage my calendar and OmniFocus largely on my iPad, you know, in iPad mode. You know, it's not connected to a calendar. And the pencil is a great device for managing the user interface. You know, I use it in lieu of my finger. And I add tasks in OmniFocus. I add calendar events in Fantastical. And mm. I do that with the pencil all the time. But I have... I, one time I tried to like write a blog post with a pencil and it just was too slow for me. You know, it just wasn't right for me. Yeah. I would rather use a keyboard for that, but, but you're right. It, it is interesting. This, you know, amazing different set of input mechanisms you have and everybody can kind of pick their own. And that's one of the things that makes the iPad kind of great. Yeah. What do you think of the new kind of app design model with the sidebars? I think it's the right direction for the for the iPad as a way for developers to optimize their experiences, their apps to the to take advantage of the iPad's bigger form factor and the you know the different uh, the, the fact that you know the majority of people are going to use this device in landscape mode, especially with the iPad Pro, especially if they have a keyboard. And so the idea that the iPad, even though it had some exclusive features compared to to iOS traditional app design was still rooted in the same conventions, the same UI conventions of the of, of designing apps for iPhone, such as using tab bars at the bottom of the screen, for example. And so I think it absolutely makes sense for iPad to say, well, I have, you know, this widescreen display maybe makes more sense to put navigation in a sidebar on the right. And if you start there, then I think it automatically follows that you may want to have a multi-column layout because you have a widescreen form factor and uh, you you have things like pull-down menus, right? That take advantage of the fact that you now have a trackpad and you can do things like right clicks basically in the UI to show a context menu that is attached to a toolbar. So all all these these things, I think they absolutely make sense for the for iPadOS in the in in the context of how people actually use an iPad in 2020. And I also think it's fine that these ideas were arguably borrowed from macOS. I see a lot of a uh, a lot of angst every every time Apple announces something, and there's a there's a group of people on Twitter, for example, who are like, "Oh yeah, so the iPad is now like Mac," and I think. That's that's uh, a bit yeah. short-sighted for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think this is the same company that is making you know multiple platforms. If anything, Apple is stealing from itself, and I think yeah. it's okay to to go back to an to an idea that you figured out two decades ago if it's still modern and and practical. I don't see anything wrong with that, but also that isn't necessarily the truth because what apple is doing here and what they've been doing for the past few years actually is they may have been inspired by ideas that worked on mac os before but if you look closely you'll see how each of those ideas has been reimagined has been adapted to work on ipad all of the features that apple borrowed from mac os in recent memory from um, split view to the files app to drag and drop to context menus and multi-window and search even in iPadOS 14. All of those features they've been 
and rethought and redesigned because they need to support touch and the pointer and the keyboard and the pencil all at the same time, right? So in the context of app design, uh, sidebars, for example, you can use with the pointer, obviously, uh, very fast and easy to now navigate different sections of an app, but you can also use touch and you can tap on a sidebar and you can dismiss a sidebar by swiping across the title bar with your finger or with the pointer. It doesn't matter. Uh, so the idea that this is a desktop-like layout, sure, but it's also ultimately designed for iPadOS. It supports touch, keyboard, uh, and the pointer. And I think that that makes it really, um, it makes certain apps a lot more powerful because you still have the same uh, intuitive design, but you also have the faster navigation and all these little um, tricks that we learned on the desktop years ago. Now we can take advantage of them on iPad. Yeah, you know, the whole idea of tribalism amongst Apple enthusiasts, just I find so abhorrent. Um, we all love this stuff. And if you look at Apple, how Apple makes its money, they're making gazillions of dollars on all this hardware. And there's people in Apple who want to make each platform special and unique and good, but they borrow from each other because that's how you make them special, unique, and good. You know, it's not a... It's not a zero sum game, you know. So if if we have a Silicon Mac that that runs iPad software, it doesn't mean the iPad is going to go away. And just the opposite is true as well. And everybody just calm down. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been saying this for a while. So I like uh, I, I really don't see this um, taking sides. I think uh, ultimately, and this is a bigger discussion, but I think ultimately, like computers are computers, and the main the main job of a computer is to empower us to do more than we would otherwise be able to. And so I I don't really get the the picking sides. Like you want to use Windows, fine. You wanna you wanna work on yeah. a Mac, that's fine. Like I don't care as long as you can be productive, as long as long as you can do your life's work and be and be you know save time. The whole point is that we should be using the computer that works best for us so that we can save time and avoid do, doing boring stuff because the computer does it for us and we have more time to do something else, whether it's play with our yeah. pets or spend time with our family or just go outside. Maybe not right now, but in the future. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really get the tribalism either. Like, I, I, I don't get it. It's just, it's just part of this kind of thing though i mean we just did an episode recently on research tools and i talked about the difference between obsidian and room research which are two apps you've probably never heard of because they're not on ipad but the um but i generally like obsidian better and all the room people are writing me now saying oh you don't understand and no i really want room to be good too don't you don't have to write me i get it i want them all to be good i just <laughs> for various reasons i like one over the other but there there's no need there's no need to get angry it's okay i know i know i know this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint, a bi-weekly conversation and interview podcast hosted by the SharePoint team. Discovering new podcasts is always fun, and if you listen to Mac Power Users, you are geek-inclined, and a great show you should check out is the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, the IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. 
You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, uh, focus topic of the week, guest perspectives, frequently asked questions of the week, and upcoming events. And just so you have an idea what to expect, I want to tell you about some of the topics you might be interested in that were on previous episodes. They've discussed working from home, which I know is relevant to just about everybody at this point, also figuring out an intelligent intranet for your organization. They also did an episode talking about API and teamwork too, which you should give a try. Just in the last month, there were a few episodes that I found of note. In their SharePoint roadmap episode, they talked about all of the steps they're taking to improve the Microsoft tools to help organizations get better. They also explained their OneDrive widget for iPhone in that episode, which I found really interesting from a company like Microsoft taking time to come up with its own widget. Microsoft's been great about supporting the iPhone and iPad with their tools, and this conversation reflects that. They also had an episode last month with the Special Olympics of Canada, where they explained how they transitioned the Special Olympics from a Dropbox install to Microsoft tools to make everything better and faster. It was a really great workflow episode, and I enjoyed listening to the whole thing. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The Intrazone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or just click the link in the show notes and check it out. Our thanks to The Intrazone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. There's one thing I've been meaning to ask you, and I haven't, I knew you were going to come on the show, so I didn't want to bug you about it until I could get you on mic. But uh-huh. this thing with widgets and the iPad, <sighs> you know, on the iPhone, widgets are great. And on the yep. iPad, they're frustrating, at least yeah. for me. Um, so, so for listeners that aren't aware, if you have an iPad and you have these widgets, you only get them in the left column. And just to set up the problem for Federico to help me solve, not only do you only get one column, you really only get basically two segments of them or you know or two or or one medium widget to show up full time without having to scroll to pull up to see it and i do not understand why the platform with the bigger screen actually has fewer default widgets what do what do you think about it what do you how are you doing it's such a missed opportunity right the the fact that you cannot place um widgets on on the home screen on the iPad, you would think that if anything, like if, if you went back in time and you were asked, look, Apple is about to add widgets to the home screen and you will be able to intermix icons and widgets on the same page of the home screen. What do you think will be the first device where they do it? And I think most people will say, well, duh, they're going to start on the iPad because it's easier because the screen yeah. is bigger. But no, Apple went the opposite direction, which to an extent, obviously Apple knows best, Right. And you see just how viral widgets went among regular people, millions of people. Maybe they actually knew what they were doing. But still, it does feel like a missed opportunity that on iPad, you can, you know, widgets are still confined to this uh, column on the left side. And so it's like I'm not dealing with it in any particular way, except that I picked the uh, four widgets that I want to see at all times. Um, so my task manager and and uh, music widgets and my calendar. 
And I'm just using those. And it's kind of sad because I will, I would love to put more widgets on iPad. I would completely revolutionize my home screen if I could. And it's, I'm just very bummed up about it because I, I had so many ideas, right? When I, when I was watching the WWDC video, it immediately came to me like, Oh, imagine like I could put a shortcut here and I could put my task manager here, like intermix all these icons and widgets, but no, yeah. it's still the same system. So I guess we have our obvious wish list item for iPadOS 15. Yeah. So, you know, m- yeah. maybe, maybe that's a plus, but yeah, I'm very sad and I'm not dealing with it in any particular way. There's no hidden trick. It's, it's all just sad. There's part of me that is hoping that we get like in 14.3, yeah. 14.4. Mm. Um, I know, but I mean, when you see how, what a big deal the widgets have been for the phone and all the marketing Apple got out of it, I could see them wanting to push it up if they could. And I'm sure there's good reasons why you know they forked the operating system to iPad OS last year. And maybe there's a reason why they just couldn't do it right now and they ran out of time. But man, I would love to, right. to get that. I, every time I look at my iPad with all of those icons on the screen and that sad little widget on the left side, my heart breaks just a little bit. Yeah. I, I thought I was hoping you'd have the answer, Federico. I don't. But I guess the answer is we have to wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. I, I know. I know. There's no, there's no secret sauce. There's no magic trick. It's just sad. It's sad for everybody. Yeah. I'd like to talk about uh, what are some of the things that you, the workflows that you've developed on iPad that you just particularly love that make you smile when you run them? Uh, and what are some of the things on iPad that kind of frustrate uh, you still? Can I get real nerdy with you about? Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is the Mac Power users. Okay. Go all the way Okay, down. so there's this particular workflow which I, which I optimize for my long-form writing. So my, I, my annual iOS reviews as well as longer stories that I do during the year. So I have this setup that involves IA Writer, which is my default, uh, my go-to, like my favorite text editor. Um, it's a very pretty text. Editor. It is. And, and, and I actually, uh, commissioned a couple of years ago, uh, custom, uh, preview templates so that when I preview my markdown in IA writer, it looks like the Mac stories website. So I have this nice. custom preview setup as well. So IA writer and, uh, it involves three apps, IA writer scriptable, which is the JavaScript app, um, yeah. sure. and shortcuts, obviously. So one of the features, this is, this gets kind of, as I said, very geeky, so I'll, try, I'll do my best. Um, IA Writer has a feature called content blocks. And a content block is basically a file reference. You, as you're writing in Markdown, you can, type a, you can type a forward slash and insert a reference to another file. So imagine typing slash um, photo.jpg right? You're referencing an external file. And when you hit preview, that external reference turns into an actual image so that in your markdown preview, you see the photo, right? Uh, As if it were an image URL, but it's not. It's a reference to the file system. Now, to generate these references, I have a script uh, in in Scriptable that um, takes a photo um, as input and saves it into a subfolder in iCloud Drive. And this subfolder 
is a folder bookmark. This is a like a fancy uh, iOS and iPadOS API that not a lot of uh, file managers and text editors support. I believe actually IE Writer is the only text editor that supports this. Um, uh, but basically, in, in Scriptable, you can say, hey, ignore the sandbox. Uh, let me create a bookmark to this folder, and I want to save files into these folders, even though it's not part of your document container. So you basically poke a hole into the sandbox, and you say, Scriptable, sure. save stuff into an IA Writer subfolder. And the the glue that, put, that you know, connects all of these pieces together is, of course, shortcuts. So when I'm editing my articles, I keep IA Writer on the left and shortcuts on the right in split view, with shortcuts being the smaller window. I have a shortcut yeah. that runs a scriptable action. And basically what happens is I take a screenshot and then I run a shortcut. The shortcut takes the image, passes the image as input to the scriptable action. And now in iPadOS and iOS 14, thanks to this new uh, developer technology called in-app intent handling, shortcuts doesn't have to launch scriptable anymore. It just happens in the background. And after two seconds, that image gets saved, again, in the background, into a subfolder of IA Writer. And in the clipboard, I have a content block. I have a file reference. And I just need to hit paste in my text editor. And I have something like slash image assets, which is the name of, of the subfolder, slash, I don't know, homescreen.png, which is the screenshot that I just saved. And all of this happens in two seconds. Later when I'm done um, creating these content blocks. And again, through the whole time, I can just hit preview and I see these images, right? I didn't have to upload them. It took me two seconds to save them. At the very end of the process, I have a script that runs through all these content blocks and actually uploads them to my CDN and returns actual (laughs) live HTTPS links. Oh wow. Yeah. That that the last part is where you got yeah. me. That's yeah. great. <laughs> and then so you've got you create the link initially as writing it, but then you don't have to do any extra work on the back end. Exactly. Like I don't I don't need to wait for yeah. the upload time. Uh I just uh, because I want to insert the screenshots as quickly as possible. Like I want to take them and continue editing. And then later I can just sit back, run the script and you know, the images go up and uh, and I, you know, it's fine because I've already done the work. So this is something that I've been developing for the past two years at this point. And it finally, it, it clicked really this summer for a couple of reasons. One is what I mentioned, how in, um, shortcuts, uh, developers who want to make shortcuts actions can now take advantage of this new technology in iOS 14 where complex actions can run in the background. You don't have to do the whole shortcuts is launching this application and then it's coming back. No, it just runs in the background. And second, we finally developed our own um, backend for uploading and compressing images. And so the, the the script that I use for uploading all those images and compressing them, it's so much faster than before. So uh, yeah, I'm really happy with this, but really it's also thanks to IA Writer and the fact that it supports these content blocks. They have, a, doc- they have a, a documentation page up on their website somewhere where they explain, you can do some pretty wild things with content blocks 
like you can reference, I mentioned, of course, I mentioned um, JPEG and PNG files, but you can also reference other Markdown documents. So you can have Markdown inside Markdown, or you can reference, um, like uh, nobody, for example, ever knows the correct syntax for a multi-Markdown table, right? Nobody ever knows how to do yeah. Well, in IA Writer, you can reference an external CSV file and you can embed that as a table inside your Markdown. It's really wild. Well, nice. So you don't have to deal with all the pipes. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Nice. Uh, you, you know, what else you uh, acknowledge there is Simon Stovering, Absolutely. who does Scriptable yes. and Data Jar. That guy is like, he is so precious yes. to the automation community. Absolutely. Um, uh, not only is Scriptable an amazing app, it, basically, Scriptable, I'm Scriptable lets you create um, JavaScript um, automation where the shortcuts team didn't, you know, so it adds to shortcuts. But DataJar, just the idea of an app that holds global variables for shortcuts is like, it's a game changer. And this one guy just did these things, I think, in his free time. Yeah, it's it's incredible when, when an indie developer is able to build products that enable so many other people, right? And and we've been seeing this, we, we, we've been fortunate enough in the Apple community, in the Apple ecosystem to have a few examples of these developers over the years. You know, a few years ago, uh, Ole Zorn with Editorial and Pythonista. And now, of course, yeah. there's Simon, but I'm also thinking of folks like Silvio Rizzi with Reader, for example, right? Indie developers that do these amazing applications that empower thousands of uh, hundreds of thousands of people across the world i think it's really inspiring and really it's one of the reasons why i i love writing about these kinds of apps still it's it, it really is like watching these folks put together these applications these utilities it makes me want to do more myself as well it, i find it really inspiring to 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 know and to see somebody do something really useful for lots of other people. Yeah, and it's it's funny how this whole ecosystem has grown out of shortcuts where there's these apps that add to shortcuts and they solve real problems. Um, like something that I've complained about, I think you even referenced me in one of your reviews a few years ago about how tagging is such a dumpster fire on iPad. You know, it just tagging files isn't easy. And... I vividly remember you and me sitting at the that coffee place yes. in, in San Francisco when that first beta came out, and we realized that the only way you can apply a tag is to scroll through the whole list. <laughs> and yeah. we were laughing, oh, this is a beta thing. They'll fix that. And uh -huh. that was like three or four years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, still not fixed. But Toolbox Pro is another app. I mean, yep. he came out with a feature to add a tag with a Toolbox Pro action so you add that to your shortcuts, you can create like a choose from menu, simple shortcut and tag any file you want with multiple tags or remove tags or pen tags, all the tools we want with a simple shortcut action now. And man, that is, that's really been a game changer for a lot of people who are interested in automation on iPad. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, and I think Apple knows about this, right? Because of all the things that they've been doing with shortcuts, especially this year, these power user improvements and these developer improvements, they have been listening to the community. And so they have been doing things, like I mentioned, um, 
in-app intent handling, but also things like developers can now mark their actions as deprecated. This was something that folks like Simon Stobring have been asking for the past couple of years. And, you know, I'm also thinking of people like Anders Borum, for example, the developer of Working Copy and uh, Secure Shellfish, yeah. right? Another excellent utility if you work on iPad and iPad Pro. Um, all these things that Apple has, has been doing in shortcuts, it shows that they do listen to the community. They do listen to power users. And so, for example, we also got stuff like, which I never thought was going to be was going to be possible, cut and paste copy and paste for actions in shortcuts. In iOS and iPadOS 14, you can select an action in any of your shortcuts and paste it somewhere else, even paste it in a different shortcut. I think that's incredible. Like, Which is really useful with things like URL callbacks and these actions that are very detailed right. and hard to replicate. Right, and yeah, yeah so the, I get, and obviously we also got folders. So, you know, uh, it's it's been interesting to, to watch the, I think it's fair to call it the shortcuts ecosystem at this point. All these different apps that that add functionality to shortcuts in a way that is actually native, because all these actions are just native components of shortcuts. They and especially yeah. now that they can just run in line and do stuff in the background, that that's incredible. And, and I feel like the shortcuts team has done such a great service for the community this year by not like i mean you could see a different version of apple that stops oh, that yeah. right <laughs> oh yeah like no we're this is our thing we're, we're going to do it our way but instead they actually made it easier for people to plug into shortcuts and add additional features and clearly it's power users that are going to be downloading apps like toolbox right. pro and and scriptable but you know so why not just give us the freedom to use those tools how we want and and then let the other users who don't want to go that far down the rabbit hole just just be happy with what they have. I think it's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I do think it's uh, the fact that you can still share your shortcuts. I think it's really nice that Apple kept that option because you, you have to believe, right, that at some point in the past, following the workflow acquisition, somebody at Apple looked at the idea of sharing code, essentially, with other people and thought, well, we're getting rid of this, right? You have to believe that that yeah. discussion happened. And the fact- Especially in this age of security exactly. conscious Apple. But the fact that Apple, yeah. they they kept it around, they made it more secure with all the permissions and the untrusted shortcut system and all these things that they've done with just making it super easy to enable and disable permissions inside of a shortcut, that is so nice of them that they, they, they have kept this, they, still working on it um, they have removed some options right for sure and but overall the fact that this is not only the same as before but so much more powerful than workflow because of native actions and parameters and and third-party apps were really it feels like at this point especially in ios 14 we are past the days of x callback url and we now have real automation and real uh, a real exchange of data between apps via shortcuts. And I think the obvious next step, if you ask me, is to bring shortcuts to the Mac. It, it needs to happen at some point. And I think especially now that, you know, we go back to the idea, you're going to have iPad apps on the Mac and you're going to have either like an actual iPad app or a Catalyst version of the iPad app on the Mac. And well, if you did the work, 
of supporting shortcuts on iPad, well, there you go. You now also have shortcuts on the Mac and the same actions, they work on the Mac just like they work on iPad. This is all, you know, my speculation, but I think it will make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's very likely we're going to see shortcuts on the Mac. I'm a little mixed on it, though. Like, I feel like, you know, Apple, there was a small team at Apple that came up with the idea of Apple events and Apple script many years ago. And Apple script on the Mac is really, there's a good argument to be made. That's the reason Apple still exists. You know, when in the 90s, when Apple was failing, all these companies had these automations built on Apple script for publishing workflows and whatnot. And they couldn't afford to not buy Macs because they had everything figured out already, you know. And for whatever reason, Apple did not go that far down the stack with iPad OS and Mac and iPhone OS. You know, we, we don't have the equivalent of Apple events. Right. So when you go over to the Mac side, you've got this amazing ability to automate anything and everything more so than you have on iPhone and iPad. Um, so part of me like feels like, okay, we got it covered on iPhone and iPad, not with as clever of a system as shortcuts, but we've got it covered put your time and effort into making shortcuts better on iPhone and iPad before you move it over. But, but I think you're right. As time goes by, it's just, it's just gotta happen. They've got to move it over. Yeah, I think so. I think so. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM and start monitoring your website performance and availability today. And best of all, use offer code MPU to get 30% off. Do you have a website and does your website have a shopping cart registration forms or contact us pages? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when cart checkout forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Don't you want to be the first one to know when there's a problem? Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now for a 14 day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use offer code MPU at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. That's a huge discount for Mac Pow users listeners, and we really appreciate it. So thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Once again, that's pingdom.com slash relay FM with offer code MPU. So Federico, let's okay. play a game. Let, let's pretend that Tim Cook gives you a phone call. Hey, Federico, hmm. this is Tim. You know, like, I don't know. I, I can't do this. <laughs> but either way, he calls you and says he loves Mac stories, but he has a new job for you. He wants you to become the iPad king of Apple. He wants you to go to Cupertino, take over the iPad. So now you're the iPad king. First of all, how does it feel being king? I think it must be feel pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. But but what are you going to do as king with the iPad? Well, <laughs> this is quite the question, really. <laughs> um, okay. I have some ideas. 
Um, <laughs> you do. <laughs> so what? Uh, I think I, so. We mentioned uh, we mentioned this a few minutes ago. I think I would start from a place from from a feature where you can tell that it was designed, it was built years ago in a different era of the uh, of of iPad design and iPad usability. And this is a feature that actually encompasses other features. I'm I'm talking about multitasking. So split view, slide over, and the whole system based on drag and drop and the app switcher, all those features. I think, and I would also throw multi-window to an extent into this, but primarily slide over and split view. A few minutes ago, we mentioned how every modern iPad and iPadOS feature needs to be designed while accounting for different input methods, right? Yeah. And I think if you look at split view and you look at slide over, you can tell that they were designed years ago, back in the days of iOS 11, where the iPad was still primarily used with touch. There was no native pointer, there was no support for trackpads, and the implementation of keyboard shortcuts in Apple's own apps was kind of spotty. Now, multitasking using multitasking on an iPad with a trackpad is awkward, right? Because the system is so reliant on drag and drop and grabbing icons from one place and dropping them to another to create windows of different sizes. There's very there's very few UI affordances that help you along the way. And it's very awkward on a small trackpad to do these operations of grabbing icons and dropping them in an exact location on screen. I would start there and I would take a look at slide over and split view, keep what's working. I think the idea of obviously split view as an idea is necessary to the iPad. And the idea of slide over as well, like to have this, you know, this transient panels that pop in and pop out of the screen like the idea itself is valid my problem with it is the fact that it's only optimized for one mode which is touch and there's no keyboard or pointer equivalent of operating and managing those features yeah trying to do that with a trackpad feels like trying Mm -hmm. to diffuse a Mm -hmm. bomb to me it's like it's so easy to like overdo it and then you get the window in the wrong place or it's wider than you wanted. And then it's like, I always just give up and use my fingers when I need to do stuff like that. I agree. It's, it's, it's very, it's very surprising that, that this is still the way that the things are on iPad OS. And I would start there, maybe with the addition of menus, maybe with the addition of options in search, right. To, to, to maybe activate split view from there. There's a bunch of ways that I could go about it, but for sure I would start and say, how can we make it easier when you're using the pointer? And also, how can we surface these functionalities? How can we make it more obvious to people just how you can activate split view, how you can manage split view? Because right now it's very much geared toward power users, but I think a lot of average users would also benefit from split view. It's just too hidden and too hard to discover. I think it needs to be simplified. Yeah. And it and it's it's very tricky, right? How can you keep something powerful but also simplify it at the same time? But hey, that's why 
uh, lots of people work at Apple. <laughs> exactly. And split view is not a power user feature. I mean, if you go back to the original Mac, it what made it remarkable for a lot of people was the ability to manage windows with multiple apps on the screen at once. I mean, that is the original killer feature of the Mac that very, you know, non-power user users wanted. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. I need to make it easier for you know, kind of normal users to incorporate. Also asking another, uh, I mean, uh, I guess I would have many decrees. Uh, one of them would be, yeah, yeah there widgets we go. on the home screen. They need to happen. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the home screen, I, you know, I would love to do what I do on my Mac, which is I can keep files and folders on my home screen. Maybe that could be a files widget, right? It could be as simple as that, like a, a files widget that reopens a particular document or a particular folder. That's it. Well, we have that, though, well, right now. Well, it's only recent documents, though, right? You cannot actually yeah. say, load this particular document or this particular subfolder. There's no... Um, or, or even, like, your favorites, the ones you've marked as favorites, you should be able to... Yeah, exactly. There's... Yeah, you should be able to, to have that. Also, speaking of files, I would borrow more features from, from the Max Finder. So more sorting options and view options, smart folders. I, I, I'll never understand why Apple seems to be so institutionally um, against the idea of saved searches and smart folders or smart playlists on iOS and iPadOS. I, th those are absolutely some of my yeah. favorite features. Like you create your own filters and then you have these custom views that you made yourself. Whether it's in files or mail or music, this is not possible on iOS and iPadOS. And for files, I would love to have saved searches and smart folders on, on iPad. And I would also borrow from... I, I almost was willing to give them a... a on that issue, I was willing to give them like a break for the first year or two that iCloud was kind of yeah. taking off. You know, that they didn't want it to break. But I feel like at this point, you're right. Why not have smart folders? Yeah. Um, in files, I would also consider supporting quick actions um, with third-party extensions. So f the Files app on, on iOS and iPadOS actually supports um, built-in quick actions. Like if you select a video, for example, in files, in the inspector, uh, that, that you can see either in column view or by opening the menu, you will see quick actions like trim or, uh, you know, annotate if it's like a PDF. And I would love those extensions to be user configurable. Uh, developers could provide their own quick actions just like they can on the Mac. If you're a developer on the Mac, you can make a custom quick action for the Finder or maybe an idea. Maybe you could make your own quick actions with shortcuts. You could have a new extension pointing shortcuts and be like, hey, this shortcut should run in the background when I run a quick action in files. That would be pretty sweet. Now, if you were the king, would you like accept petitions? Like if I like brought you a goat or something, could I ask can, for you favors? Can ask. You can ask. Yeah, I, I would petition you to also add better tags. Yeah, oh, ab absolutely. Better tags. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'd bring two goats. Yeah, if two that's goats is fine. Um, and also I would extend, right, in because file management is such like it's one of the like these are the basics of, of a modern computer. Um better integration between shortcuts and files. 
the fact that shortcuts is still limited to the uh, iCloud Drive slash shortcuts folder, I think that's that's yeah, pretty ridiculous yeah, at this yeah. point. There should be a way, maybe with bookmarks, right? Maybe it's it's a one-time thing that you do like, hey, get me access to this folder and you authorize it once and then later you, you can you can read and write into that folder. Uh, that that would be pretty pretty lovely. Um, I guess I've I've got a whole category of Hazel scripts on my Mac that does nothing but move files out of that folder. Exactly. There you go. Um, also, like big picture stuff, um, I would redesign the app switcher um, to allow for. First of all, you should really be able to create split views in there by dropping a window on top of another and like those those window previews they're so inviting to the touch but you cannot use drag and drop on any of them you should really be able to mix and match and combine windows in there and also i would love to have support for creating my favorite app pairs i think the What's a new Microsoft um, folding thing called uh, the the Duo or something? I believe they have this feature yeah. where you can yeah. create your favorite combinations of apps, uh, and you can save them to the home screen as an icon, and that is that actually shows like the t- the two app icons together. And when you tap it, you basically recreate the split view with those two apps side by side by default. I think something along those lines on iPad, like, hey, I always want to use, I don't know, Twitter and Safari side by side. Let me save this as a, as I don't know, as a shortcut, as a, as a favorite somewhere, and let me recreate that split view from, from you know, just, just one tap. And then I guess I would love to see more pro Apple apps on iPad. I think it's time for Apple to consider stuff like, well, Final Cut and Logic come to mind. We've, we, especially with, with both audio and video, but especially with video, we've seen how developers like the folks at LumaFusion, right, can really tap into the power of the iPad Pro. And they have built an audience of video professionals who are using LumaFusion and its many integrations to do serious professional video editing on iPad. And I think Apple is aware of this. And I don't see why uh, Final Cut shouldn't exist on iPad Pro at this point. But really, what I want to see on iPad is Xcode. It doesn't have to be the exact same Xcode as the Mac. Maybe it's a new generation of Xcode, but something more than Swift Playgrounds. Something that lets you... Maybe it's a Swift UI only thing. I don't know. But something that lets you design and write and test apps on device you know so so a lot of people say that a computer is only to be considered mature enough when you can write apps for the computer on the computer itself and i think that that's a pretty valid threshold for maturity and i think it's about time for ipad for developers to be able to create software on iPad. It, again, it doesn't have to be the same thing as on the Mac. It doesn't have to, to have Interface Builder, for example, right? It doesn't have to, to run instruments yeah. on all the other debugging tools as Xcode. It can be a new generation of Xcode. And I think Apple should consider something like that. I think, you know, it's been a decade of iPad. It, it came out in 2010, and we're now at the end of 2020. I think it's about time. Like a Swift-only version that, can only make apps for Maybe. iPad and iPhone. No. But yeah. I mean, it's a, if yeah. you're Apple, 
at this point in history with almost, uh, what, $200 billion in the bank and God knows how many employees, you can do anything. You're only constrained by your own strategy. Like on pro apps, the thing is, I would be a little embarrassed if I was Apple because other people are making pro apps on their platform and Apple has pro apps that do the same thing that are not on the, their own platform. You know, yep. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Get in this game. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I actually feel like the the reign of King Federico over the iPad would be a good one. You know, long may he reign. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't just do, and, and I think it's especially important, I wouldn't just do features for power users. I think the most challenging job in software design, like big picture level, if you're somebody like Craig Federighi, for example, it's not just to come up with power user stuff. Because all of us, we yeah. can come up with power user features very easily. Like you, you give me you give me a document and yeah. I can give you a bullet list of 20 power user geeky things that I would love to have. The problem is, and the real job is, how can you make those really complex ideas and turn them into something approachable by all kinds of people who don't necessarily have the same levels of dexterity and computing knowledge and expertise as you, right? How can you democratize power in a way that becomes empowering for everyone? And that's a, that's an idea, like the idea of empowering people to use computers. That's something that I know Apple cares a lot about, cares deeply about. And it and it's so tricky, right? To take something complex and 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 difficult to explain and get right to the essence of it and say. Here's how you do it. You don't need the manual. You don't need to know. You don't need all these notions. It's approachable. It's user-friendly. That's the real job, right? And I think we've seen over the past few years, yeah. Apple absolutely get this right with things like context menus and the magic keyboard and the pointer and you know the, the new sidebars and the way that um, apps resize on iPad. Like that stuff they have absolutely nailed. And some other things are still kind of stuck in the past. So I, I, I'm really intrigued by by what they're going to do next in, in iPadOS 15, now, especially now that they have this new foundation for app design. I think it's time they go back to reconsider some of the ideas of, uh, I mean, iOS 11, really. It goes back to that, 2017 and the new multitasking in iOS 11. Maybe it's time to reconsider that. Yeah, I hope they do. And that's why I'd like them to put the mm. widgets on in 14 point mm. something, right? <laughs> because I, I want to get that I, out of the way this year. Next year, look at those I don't problems. disagree. I just, I just think, uh, you know, I think it's, we're going to have, yeah. yeah. Asking a yeah. lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not king. So if I were, I will listen to you. Maybe yeah. in exchange for a couple more goats. Yes. I'll yeah, give there you three you go. goats okay. for that. Three goats. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> this is all hypothetical, so. All right. Well, Federico, thank you so much for giving me your time today and coming on the Mac Power Users. It's been, it's been too long, and, and we really appreciate every time you come on. I know you're super busy over Mac Stories. One of the reasons why I waited was so we could give you time to get that great iOS 14 review published. We'll put that in the show notes, which is kind of the definitive review of iOS 14. If you haven't checked it out, you should go do that. Uh, folks can find you over at Mac Stories. You've also got several podcasts. Um, 
Well, just give me a list of your podcasts. I'm not sure that I I've got them all in my head at the moment. Well, you can find me. So uh, you can find you got me. the one you do with John. Yeah. Well, Mac I stories. do three with John. I do App Stories, App which stories, is the main yes. one, and I do yeah. Mac Stories Unwind, which is the basically the 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 weekend recap. Uh, and then for Club yeah. Mac Stories members, we do Mac Stories Unplugged, which is like the behind the scenes stuff. Um, sure. And then you can also find me on Relay FM uh, on Connected, which I do with my. And Stephen, uh, and on Adapt, which I do. It's an iPad-focused podcast, which I do with Ryan. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I guess I do, I do a bunch of I do a bunch of shows. Yeah, I am continually amazed at how good you are at podcasting in a foreign language. It is really well. The thing remarkable. is. Thank you. you but the problem is now I'm not so good at my native language anymore. <laughs> I am losing my Italian ability. No, for <laughs> real. Like, I am seriously struggling with things like uh, formal phone calls, for example, just because most of the day I just talk in English, right? Either on Slack or on Skype. And I'm now facing the opposite problem, uh, which is kind of, it's kind of funny, actually. My friends make a lot, make a yeah. Do you think in Italian or have you? Do you think in English now? Sometimes I catch myself uh, thinking out loud in English when I'm alone, and yeah, and I'm like, yeah. what, what, <laughs> "How have I gotten to this point? Really? Why?" But yeah, it. I, uh, you know, podcasting has been an amazing exercise uh, for me. So I'm I'm super thankful for really to to Mike and Stephen for asking me seven years ago at this point um to do the show and then you know we we went from there so it's uh yeah it's it's fun i love it it's fun to talk about this stuff well either way everybody go over to maxstories.com to check out federico and all the stuff he makes thank you to our sponsors one password smile pingdom and microsoft and we'll see you next week